0: Welcome to the Shema Podcast, the podcast for the perplexed, where Torah insights, intertwined through personal stories, as well as interviews with leading Torah scholars, demonstrate the empowering qualities of Torah and mitzvot. For more great Torah learning through Torch, the Torah Outreach Center of Houston, go to torchweb.org. Now to the show. So I, I just came up with the name of the lecture, How to Use Torah as a Roadmap to Become Soul First. And body second. So what is what are we actually trying to accomplish? Well, we know the construct of man is we have a body and we have a soul. And the job of mankind is to take the soul and commandeer the body. And we actually have multiple layers of soul, but we'll break it down to two basic souls. We have the nephish, which resides in the blood. We share that with the animal kingdom. That's what animates all beasts. We have a neshama. That's our consciousness. That is what allows us to view the world and to think. That is a piece of God. So, why do I know that that is the purpose of Torah? Because if you look at the bookends of the written Torah, how does it start? It starts with Adam, who was soul first. All his sensory perception was tied to God. The body was totally secondary. He didn't recognize it. And then, he lost that status, and God gave Adam and Eve clothing they gave them leather clothing but the deeper meaning that text is if you want to understand exactly what that clothing looked like i will show you it is this this is the leather clothing that god gave adam and eve causing their sensory perception to be totally tied in to this world and creating the task now of reconnecting the sensory perception to the source of everything and our creator that's the front end of the torah how does the Torah end? With Moshe reconfiguring himself back to the status of Adam. He came down from Mount Sinai. His neshama was glowing out of his face. He was able to convene with God like we convene with each other. You know, we don't, we don't get close to God because we can't move closer to Him, but we become like Him. And how do we become like Him? By being in a mode of giving. When we're in a mode of giving, God is in a constant mode of giving, then we connect. When we are in a mode of taking, then we distance ourselves from God. And the other thing about all this is, is that we have the ability to transcend much higher than the angels because of this, this lofty task. One of the things I think it's important for us to think about is when we think about our ambitions in life, what are they? Right? What do we talk to our kids about? Is it career focused? Because I just described exactly what we're, our real objective in life is to do, is to be greater than an angel, to have our Nishama commandeer our body, but we seem to always focus our ambitions on careers, health, I want that new car, that vacation, and all those things can fit in to that grand grand scheme, but we have to keep it focused. When we talk to our kids, we need to make sure they understand that their career and the education, everything they're getting to support that career it fits into that higher purpose. Otherwise, they're going to lose meaning. And we see what happens when Jews, especially, pursue business and money without an attachment to the greater calling. They go berserko. All the mitzvot can be tied into three categories. Man's relationship with his fellow man, man's relationship with God, and man's relationship with himself. Throughout my life, whenever I meet Jews or people who connect to the Jewish people, who attach to them, and it doesn't matter if they're religious, it doesn't matter if they're an atheist. They all have something in common. They all want to be good people. You could do a lecture series on the ethics of integrity in business, volunteering to help out the sick. I don't care if the Jews an atheist, he wants to know about it. What I'm here to tell you is that if someone is trying to be that niche and they ignore the other guidance, Torah means guidance, that God is giving them, they will fail. Now, not necessarily on a relative basis. You know, if you are a C plus student in a classroom with D minus students, that bell curve is gonna make you look amazing. You're gonna be A plus student. I'm talking about on an absolute basis in the true potential that we all have. Those things are needed. And I'm gonna use this as an example. Is anyone here familiar with the Halakha, the Jewish law on how to put on your shoes? I see the expressions too. That's the exact same expression I had. There is a way to put your shoes on because my daughter said when she was, we were talking about the laws of Shabbos back when we were going to start observing Shabbos. I told her what I knew and she's like, There's so much. And I was like, oh, I didn't tell you the other thing I know. I barely know anything. And, she, and then I was like, but don't worry about it day by day. And I was like, and I explained where I've come from since the age of 40 when I began studying. And she goes, it's like you had to learn how to tie your shoes again. And I say, no, it's not like that. It's exactly like that. Because I just learned I've been putting my shoes on the wrong way. Now, my point to bringing that up is this. Let's say Steve, at the age of 120, he's lived a full life because God loves the contribution he's making to his world, the ambassador he's being to his world. But now it's time. He pulls his neshama out. And now there is Steve, his neshama in the presence of the Almighty. And the Almighty saying, you did such a great job great family man, you helped out, you volunteered, you gave sadaka, you did a wonderful job in business with full integrity, but you just blew it with the shoe tying. What were you thinking? Left shoe first, right shoe? I says in my Torah, right shoe, left shoe. Then you tied the left shoe, and you tied the right shoe. Steve, you blew it. I want to send you back down again to live another life. The next time you're back here, get the shoe tying right this time. Does anybody think that is what is going to happen? Of course not. So why are we given guidance in the Torah on how to tie our shoes and put our shoes on and how to shower in the proper order? And I think this will make, it allow it to make more sense. I've been saying the Shrikona Aruch and I've been incorporating all of this halakha into my daily routine. So now I get up in the morning and I say the Modei Ani. What am I saying? What does God want me to say to myself? You restored my soul. To my body. That means you believe in me, that I can accomplish anything that, that you've set out for me today. So if you believe in me, why should I doubt? Why should I go into this day with any apprehension? God's advice to us on the way to start our day. Pretty fantastic. Then I go to the bathroom. I come out of the bathroom, and I say the usher Yatzar prayer. The prayer we go in the bathroom. Then I do the hand washing. If I get up before morning... Uh, Before sunrise, I just use the hand basin. I wash my hands, pour twice on this hand, twice on this hand. Then I do some tour study. Try to get at least 30 minutes in. Then I come in and I shower. Face, right arm, left arm, the torso, the right leg, the left leg, and the last part of the body. And then I get dressed in the same way. I put my shoes on according to the prescribed manner and my question to you is, where are my thoughts all morning long? Gratitude towards God, you know, the feelings of empowerment knowing that if I if I'm doing things to serve as will, I can accomplish anything that I need to set up for that day. Now compare and contrast that to how I used to start my day, where I just alarm clock goes off, I jump out of bed, go get some coffee, read the news, just sort of haphazardly sort of get things I need to get done. Where are my thoughts? My thoughts were regrets for the past, worries about the future, thinking about something in the present that's upsetting, something going on in the world. My thoughts were totally in negative places. And so what is the repercussion of me not following that Halakha? Is it the fire of Gehenna when I die? No, it's I might have a bad day because I did not follow God's guidance on how to start my day off in a really amazing way. And who also pays the price when my thoughts are going to all these negative places in the morning? Me and everyone that I, I encounter. This is a way just to make your life better. And the way God interacts with us is he wants us to have joy all the time. And, and, from, and joy is derived from gratitude. So let's say I was not getting any joy out of my legs. I just take it for granted. I could walk around, run, work out. So what would God probably do out of total love for me? Cause he wants me to get joy out of my legs. Probably orchestrate me having an accident. So I have to wear a cast for six weeks. Hobbling around on crutches. Cause then he would say, ah, but when he takes his crutches off, he's going to get so much joy out of those legs again. I have some prayers that I printed off in two sided tape for those who want it. So the Asher Yatsar prayer, the prayer you should have to the bath. That was when I was like, I'm not, I'm not going to sit there and say some blessing every time I go to the bathroom. That's just not doing it. Well, two years ago, during Pesach, I just had this irresistible desire for matzah cheese melts. You can get where this is going. Double whammy on the intestinal tract. And I'll just say, without getting too descriptive, that was three days of pain. And I wrote, printed this off, and put it on my mirror outside my bathroom. I I cannot wait to say that blessing to you. I took, everything's always worked perfectly my entire life. I wasn't getting any joy out of it. So we orchestrated this. I want to make Dan want those cheese, matzo cheese melts. I want to make him just want those things. So if any of you guys want one of these, I have two sided tape here. can't hang prayers in the place of the toilet. You can't say prayers in the place of the toilet, but, but outside that room, that's where we have our mirrors. So I have one there on my mirror when I wash my hands and do all that. It's right there. And then in the other room, it's right outside the doorway. So you guys can help yourself to that. But that's, that's why we do with it. The next thing I want to talk about is something that I just learned about two years ago that is fundamental to being Jewish. Fundamental to everything. And I just learned about it. And when I was reading this book, I was boarding an airplane from Bismarck, North Dakota, home. And I'm not an emotional guy, but I almost burst into tears weeping. And fortunately, I was able to Get my composure because I could just imagine this poor guy's like the plane's taking off, and there's this guy blubbering next to him. I was like, Oh my god, this is, this is gonna be the worst flight ever. But what this showed me for one is how powerful the Yetzel is because it totally clouds our mind. And I'll, I'll get to what that book was about. And we'll start with an analogy. Someone wants to be a police officer. So, what do they do? They go to a police academy and they learn what the responsibility is as a policeman, they learn how to do it. And they learn what their responsibility in the world is. And then when they graduate the police academy, they get a badge. And that way when they get dressed in the morning, they put that badge on. They know what that badge means. It's what it what it represents and the ideal that they have to live up to. Put that imagery off to the side. And here's the other thing too. The rabbis dance around this. They've touched on it. They hint at it. Because I was like, why am I just learning this now after eight years of study? And and I'm not quite sure. But I'm I'm going to get into exactly what this is and why this is everything. The first mitzvah given in the Torah is to go forth and procreate. So obviously, we have had generations and generations of Torah observant people fulfilling this mitzvah, including the animal kingdom. God needed everyone to fulfill this mitzvah for his creation to continue, so he put in a very powerful urge to make people who want to do it, whether they recognized him or not. Back to the original goal. What is our mission? To take our neshama, commandeer the body, which is the animal, and elevate it to the an angel. To commandeer, to become king over our kingdom and elevate it so we can be a king in God's world. So what's the second mitzvah? Now what God told Abraham was he had accomplished everything that badge represented. He had accomplished it. So what God did was, I want you to have a badge. That was the circumcision. So whenever he saw that part of his body he knew what that badge represented. Where we have gotten totally lost is we think that once we no longer have a foreskin or we removed it for our sons, that that is the mitzvah. And that is not the mitzvah. That's the badge. And we can lose our bris. Or let me use the other word, the covenant, the eternal covenant between God and the Jewish people is maintaining this, is to not be like an animal. It's to take that urge and channel it upwards towards him. That's what we are supposed to do. The Yetzirah, as we know, works on an independent level at, our, at each of our levels, so as we learn more, it, it, it gets stronger, so we're consciously in a point of free will, but it also operates collectively. I believe that one of the most deceptive and evil but clever ad campaigns ever invented was by the Yetzirah, when in, I think, around the 60s, he coined the term making love. Because here is what he did. Lust is taking. Love is giving. Those are not at all the same thing. What he did was he took those two terms like, ah, it's just all one thing. It's like, why'd you sleep with that married woman? We're just making love. Beautiful man. No, you were making lust. An example of making love is when my wife says, I want you to sit here, I want to vent to you about all my problems, I don't want you to problem-solve one of them, just listen and empathize. That's giving. That's making love. There's only one person in the Torah that is described as, as exotic. Joseph. Isaac was praised because when he was with Rebecca the first time, it's the first time he spilt seed. And he was praised for that. Use that solely for just holy purposes to serve God. Joseph is referred to as Asadiq because he was tested. Young, strapping, teenage boy in a home with Potiphar's wife, who was beautiful, trying to seduce him day and night. And he overcame his nature. That is why he is referred to that. When we overcome our nature, we overcome nature. And what do I mean by that? Well, three weeks ago, we had the Parsha abolic. And we all know that Balak is and Bilam are sitting there looking at the encampment of the Jewish people. Bilam's trying to curse them, but he can't. And then Balak realizes the problem. He looks down into the camp, and what does he see? He looks down into the camp, and he sees their tents are closed off. The women are modest. He realizes they are above nature. They have this covenant. And so, what was this strategic attempt? To, to remedy this, he brought in the Midnight women. And that is why when Pincus saw Zimri with the Mennonite woman in their tent, he knew what they were going to go do. What he saw was, think of it this way. Israel has an iron dome. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. This is our iron dome. When we have the covenant, we have total protection. He saw that what was going to happen was their iron dome was going to become disengaged. And that is why he ran into the tent and killed them. He knew that when we have the covenant, we are protected from everything. Everything comes from that. And we have lost sight of that. But that's what it means. Like we were talking about Abraham is at the gates of Hinnom. And he sees if any of the men have a bris milah, They don't go in there. And we sort of laugh like this image of Abraham asking everyone to drop trout. Well, obviously their bodies are down in the grave. It's their countenance, their, you know, it's, it's that tarnish that's on them that is what we're, we are talking about. And the problem is, is when we, when we pass and we're standing before God, the shame we feel of not, of living life like an animal and not uplifting ourselves is so painful that the only way we can get closer to them is by basically this process of burning that off. That is what that, that, that text is saying. I was brought up, I graduated Kingwood High School in 87. I was the only Jewish kid in the group. The way I was brought up was focus on school. Go to college. Start your career after you've established yourself north of the age of 25, then get married. All my friends were all told the same thing. Then just Just wait, get yourself established, then get married. But what about in the meantime? What were we told? Be safe. Be responsible. Use a condom. In other words, go explore with your lusts. It's just part of experiences that you'll have growing up. Maybe truth for the non-Jewish world, but that is not our covenant. And I see that same idea being taught to everyone. And this is why I burst into tears or almost did on the plane. Because I I saw this truth and, and what it meant. Rabbi Nachman teaches a lot about this. That when a man is keeping his bris, it is, and he is above his nature, so he then becomes above nature. His livelihood becomes easy. You know, the demand to twelve your bread is totally lifted away. And so, the role of a woman, of course, is why modest dress is so important. We know the mitzvah about not putting a stumbling block before the blind. Also means don't put money in front of someone's propensity to steal. Guess what, ladies? We're the blind. Don't put a stumbling block in front of us. Okay? I uh I had this great tradition with my daughter where we go to the beach every year. And so about four years ago, we went down the beach. And prior to that, Rabbi Wolby gave a lecture talking about the upside down world. You guys remember that? The rabbi died, everything was upside down. People that were up were on the bottom, people that were on the bottom were up, we were the rabbis, same place. Meaning that when you have Torah, we can look at the world through a lens, and it clears everything off, and we see what's upside down. We see what's right side up. Without Torah, we get very confused. Why? It's because what is normal in our society is what we just assume is right. Like right now, if a group of men say, we're going to create an organization, a volunteer organization, what are you guys going to do? We are going to focus on volunteering to introduce young boys into sexuality, to intimate experiences with us. The outrage would be through the roof. The police would be there in no time. They'd all be in jail. You go back many centuries ago in Rome. You were part of that volunteer organization. You were the most righteous individual, such a noble person. It was totally normal. Torah is teaching us that over time, things are going to flip around. This is going to allow us to see what is right side up all the time. And so my daughter, so I started a game with her. I said, let's play who can find the upside downs. Because so I have a theory that if a kid who hasn't been exposed to so much, so they don't think things are normal just because everyone else is doing it, they'll probably have greater insight. And so we were at the beach, and we were eating our lunch, and we were looking out at the ocean, and my daughter says, I see an upside down. I said, let's hear And she said, if mommy were walking around her neighborhood in her underwear and bras, the other mommies would call the police on her. But if mommy were walking around the beach with her underwear and bra, the other mommies would be saying she had a really nice bathing suit. And I just, I never saw it because I've always grown up going to the beach and dressing that way. So that, I'm going to end that topic right there, but I'm just saying that it's, it's huge. And what we teach our children and our sons, it's so important to understand this because it is our iron dome. It is what the covenant means. Okay, enough on that uncomfortable subject. This is what I just discussed so far is, is is overcoming our innate nature in every respect. God is telling us also how to make this job easier. Okay? I like tasks to become as easy as possible so I can be as productive as possible. So let's say that you have a friend but they lose their sight and you have to help them out. You want to help them out. So you take them and so we got to get you a seeing eye dog. And you go to the one place And they bring out their seeing-eye dogs, and they say, we only use Labradors. Why? Because they are smart, they're gentle, they're subservient, they just wanna please their master. And he shows everything this lab does to help the blind people get around and care for them. And you turn to your friends like, looks good, but I found an ad for another place, way cheaper prices. We're gonna go check that out first. So you go to the next place, and you say, I wanna see your seeing-eye dogs. And it's like, well, We don't, we call them seeing eye companions because we don't actually use dogs. And you say, okay. And then the guy walks out with this mountain lion on a harness. And you're looking, it's like, you want me to send my blind friend home with a mountain lion? It's like, yeah, it's fine. It's totally trained. It's like, you can't train a mountain lion. I don't, I'm not doing that. Here is what I mean by that. We are, as I mentioned at the beginning, We're a neshama embedded in a body that is an animal. And we are supposed to elevate this body. We can either try to train a mountain lion or we can make our body like that of a Labrador. Look at the structure of mankind. We have a neshama, we have trillions of cells in our kingdom. Our cells are constantly dying. New ones are being created. What allows a cell to be created? We have to provide nourishment to our body. So let's say you go back to the place with the mountain lion said, "I want to get the mountain lion too." And your friend's like, "Why are you doing that?" It's like, "We're gonna have a mountain lion barbecue." Such a good deal. Might as well take it back, kill it. So you know from the Torah, it says, "Don't eat blood." Why do we? Not, why are we not allowed to eat blood? Because that is where the nefesh resides of the animals. So we are basically taking animals' soul. And building ourselves out of it, creating a mountain lion that we now have to tame. If we bled it, but we ate its flesh, what is that mountain lion eating? What it, What is his flesh made out of? The animals he ate. And so those animal that Nephish is in there, and then we eat that, and then it ends up in our body. And the same with a kosher cow. We can kill it properly, that they, they they remove all the blood. They salt it. They get all the blood out. Why? Because they want to remove the nephesh. What was the flesh made out of? Vegetation. The the one thing, uh, several things that animals that have split hooves and chew their curd have in common. They're all veget ve- they only vegetation. That's one thing. Another thing that's r- real interesting. It shows like a, it's a lot another logical proof for Torah, is that every mammal has two arteries, bringing blood up to the brain. Every animal split hoof that chews its cud has something different from every other animal as well. And that is those two arteries cross right where that ritual slit is made to kill them. So that when a pig is killed, guess what? The blood is still flowing to their brain and they are still conscious for quite some time. That is why we eat only kosher animals and we have to make sure they're prepared through a kosher process. These are all just Torah, Torah, The translation means guidance. He's just giving us, here's how life will go easier. So the next thing, we all want our families to be safe. I'm sure we all walk up our doors at night, turn on our security system. But wouldn't it be cool if we were like the first family where we had secret service people that followed us out? And we walk out, the guys in their suit, just, you know, the eagle has left the nest, and we see these people following us around, or I get on the plane, I know that one's over there, one's over there. I know that when our kids go to school, we get worried about the school shootings. There's some secret service guys looking outside the classroom, checking, making sure everything's okay. Total security. We have the exact same thing at our disposal. One is the covenant, the Iron Dome, but here's the other one. Several years ago, probably five years ago, I learned about the mitzvah of mezuzah, and I... I hung them on all our doors. I made sure it said the scroll was kosher. This year, beginning of the year, I read in the Shakon Rook that you have to get your mezuzahs inspected every three years because, especially the ones outside, the weather conditions, the wording can impact the ink on the parchment. So I took all my mezuzahs down to Rabbi Berninski, a scribe. I had, well, I had asked Shauna to do it. And what did he tell us? Not one kosher scroll photocopies, and here's what I realized, like we now spend more time and more effort on making sure we have a beautiful mezuzah case. But the mezuzah case, not the mezuzah, scroll inside. Say the mezuzah case is a way of beautifying a mitzvah. Go in that extra expense to beautify. It's great, but what we do is we spend most of our time finding the perfect casing to put it on our doors, we have no idea what's inside. What the Torah is telling us is this is the ultimate security system. So one of the things I brought was cards from, I asked Rabbi Granitsky, it's like, please, or mail these to me. She dropped these in the mail. And I implore you to all, make an appointment, take all your mezuzahs, go down and see him, have them inspected, and make, and if he, if they don't, if they aren't kosher, he will make sure that you have a kosher scroll to go home with. So I want everyone, because I love all of you, to have kosher scrolls, because then you can enact the ultimate security system, which is, you come into the house, and we know we kiss the mezuzah. But we can't do it mindlessly. What are we actually doing? That scroll represents our contract with the Almighty. So when we remember, we have a contract, and we basically initiate that contract and say, I am going to live up this contract He lives up to the contract. He protects her home. But how do you enact the security system? I brought these for everyone. You can hang next to the mezuzah. There's this wonderful prayer that when you're kissing the mezuzah, when you leave the house, and I'll just read the English, uh, the Hebrew transliteration in English. It says, Adonai is my protector. Adonai is my shadow on my right hand. Adonai will guard my going out and coming in from now till eternity. Meaning when we go out into the world, God will be with us. He will come with us. When my family left to go to Lake House on Friday to go meet my sister, you're not walking out of this house. Bring your security service detail. When Elsie leaves to go ride her bike, I give her the advice. Look both ways before you cross the street. Of course, when she was younger, if the creepy guy comes up in the car and says, I got some candy, you run. All good advice. But just have them say this prayer. Secret service detail will be out there shooing the bad stuff away and protect it. Put your security system in place. It's not Judaic art alone, okay? It's something very powerful in there that God is telling us to use. So the next ultimate weapon I see being underutilized, the most high-tech device ever created for accomplishing this mission of having our neshama totally overpower and commandeer our body so we can be kings of our kingdom so that God will treat us like a king in his kingdom is that, and this is one that does just apply to men, because for a woman, it's already sort of uh, part of their operating system already. It's already there, okay? And and what I am talking about is tefillin. All you've seen tefillin on a man before, okay, think about what this is. You have one box that you put on that points towards your heart, your emotive traits, Then you wrap it seven times around your arm to represent the seven emotive traits. And then you wrap it on your hand first, and then what you have is you don't want to totally complete the circuit because now you need to plug in. You put it on your head, and what is that doing? It's God's telling you, like, this will tap your neshama right to me. And I will provide you an influx of mental clarity, of of understanding of Torah wisdom, and then you will draw it down into your emotive traits. This is the ultimate high-tech device for accomplishing our task and having our neshama over and commandeer our body and elevating our nephesh and our lower qualities of our body. And before you finish wrapping around your hand, the first thing you do is the man wraps around his finger because it's a wedding ring. And this is the prayer that you say. While you're wrapping it around your finger, I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me with righteousness, justice, kindness, and mercy. I will betroth you to me with fidelity, and you shall know Hashem. The me is capitalized because that is not a prayer we are saying to God. He is asking us to voice them because that is what He is telling us. And then after we have it around our finger, then we create the shin on our hand for the Shekinah, Now we're lock and loaded. We are tapped in to the Almighty. Now we pray. Now we come with our request. Now everything that we know in our intellect begins to become engraved into our heart, into our emotions. It's no longer theoretical. We end with the hand because even if we perfect ourselves, we haven't done anything for his world until we take action. And that's why the final step is around the hand. So taking 10 minutes to put on to fill in, to teach our sons to do it. It's, we, we spend so much money for on our cell phones. They come with plans. We buy cell phones for our kids so they can be connected to each other and us. Buy our sons to fill in. No service plan. Show them how to connect into the Almighty. Start their day off that way. They're going to be so far ahead by being able to begin with that tool. And if you don't have tefillin for you or your son, you email me or any of the rabbis. We will get it for you. We will, I'll have the rabbi hand deliver it to make sure that you or your sons, they know how to use it because it's just too, and I head on here and I was going to ask if you were here. Debbie sent me an article about where scientists discovered something very unique about men who were tefillin. Do you remember the, it was basically something of the fact that they were discovered that men who wear tefillin have abnormally statistically low heart attacks, health problems, and they're like, we got to figure this out. Maybe it's the leather, huh? <laughs> you know. Now I sent that email back. I was like, yeah, they're going to have a fun time trying to dissect a piece of the tefillin. It's like we can't figure out what the medical properties are. They're causing men to not have heart attacks and get all these other health complications. But we know why. So I'll, I'll wrap up with this, Rabbi. Yakov Wolby told me a story a couple years ago about a Jewish man that on Shabbos went into a public restroom. And when he got inside the restroom, he realized that the door was on a motion detector. So he realized, if I leave this bathroom, I will be intentionally building an electrical current, going into an act of creation, violating the laws of Shabbat, And therefore, he stayed all Shabbos in a public men's restroom. Now, when I heard that, I was just like, you have to be kidding me. Really? But I think about it all the time. I always think about it. So here's something to consider. Because I think about this all the time, especially on Shabbos, I think about it. Here you have this sadic that throughout the week is in that state of giving. Totally, tangibly connected to God. He's filling all the mitzvot in order to enable him to do that. And it's very pleasurable to be in that connection. And then Shabbos arrives. When the sun goes down, what happens is the portal opens. To enter into the portal, what that Sadik says is he has to now move into a state where he is no longer creating, which is what the prohibitive acts are. They're all acts of creation. So he wants to go into that state of not creating. And just accepting and seeing the world perfect the way it is right now. You know, everything, his family, his home, everything is perfect. He's in that state of not creating. In that time frame of sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday. And his connection to God is so much more intensified. And it is so pleasurable that when he was sitting in that bathroom, and he knew on the other side of that door was a Shabbos meal with all his family and friends. It's like, the only way I can get there is to disconnect. And I don't want to do that. I don't want to leave this space. And so what I've realized is is that the space I would have left is not the space that Sadek would have left. And that Sodic's experience of Shabbos in a public men's restroom all day was greater than any Shabbos I've ever experienced because I'm not at that level. And the more and more I think about it, I've gone from thinking about that guy staying in the bathroom all Shabbos and saying that guy's crazy to realizing that the truth is, is that I'm crazy. key, I think, walk away is that this connection is something that can be tangible if we elevate ourselves. It's really tangible. And even though I'm so far away from that, but, you know, God willing, we're going to study together. We're going to continue to work together. But we always have to stay focused on the ultimate game plan If you enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting Torch so they can continue to spread Torah wisdom to the world by making a donation at torchweb.org and clicking donate in the top right corner of the page. And if you would like to get in contact with our host with comments, suggestions for future topics of learning, or questions for him or his guest rabbis, you may email him at president at torchweb.org.